Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us for the freedoms that we enjoy to gather for worship. We know many of our brothers and sisters around the world do not enjoy those same freedoms. And so, Father, help us to be good stewards of the talents that you give to us, not to bury them in the ground and return them to you saying, we've worshipped like we were free to and that's it, but to return them to you with profit, uh, to return them to you as a result of this hour, this day, more in love with Christ and more conformed to his image. We pray in his name. Amen. So, over the past several weeks, I have been promising that each Sunday was going to be the last Sunday of chapter 24. Uh, I had no intention of spending so much time on chapter 24, but I'm not, uh, I'm not begrudging, uh, because I think the conversations have really been good. The, the, Questions have been insightful and uh, really encouraged by how we're engaging on this very important topic. So it's in the back of your hymnal on page 924, and it's chapter 24 entitled, Of Marriage and Divorce. And so today we are going to, I certainly hope, finish the chapter. Uh, and we'll pick up with section four, and we'll do sections four, five, and six, uh, the last three sections of the chapter. Now, section four is probably not a big deal on our radars today. It was a much bigger deal, uh, really up through the 1800s, uh, but section four states that marriage ought not to be within the degrees of consanguinity or affinity forbidden by the word. So, in a nutshell, what's that, what that is saying is when the Bible forbids you to marry your first cousin, uh, when, when the Bible forbids these particular marriage arrangements regarding DNA, uh, we Christians should not be pursuing those arrangements. Now, why this is more uh, significant in, in the 1600s to 1800s uh, is you've got a fairly high mortality rate. It generally was centered around birth. Uh, so if a woman died young, it was very common that that would, that death would occur in childbirth. Of course, there's other diseases, smallpox and, and things like that. But, but childbirth was a particularly dangerous, uh, experience, both for mother and for baby. And so you had often men, uh, young men, widowers, because their wife had died, and they're looking for another wife, and because we live in these more uh, localized communities, we don't live, you know, there's no internet, there's no, you know, <laughs> match.com, uh, and, and so the, the people that are your dating pool or your marriage pool are often people that are going to be in the community 
and there's going to be some fairly close relations. Uh, you know, it's a kind of a joke uh, that in West Virginia or in the South, you know, uh, everybody kind of shares the same DNA. Uh, but but that's what the confession is getting at. Like I said, it's not it's not really an issue for us today, and so I think we can kind of move past that without any uh, without much comment. Except to say this, except to say this, I don't know how many times I speak with a young couple, a, a young man, a young woman, that is pursuing uh, another person. They've fallen in love. By the time that I come to them, they're already head over heels in love. And I can tell you as a cynical 56-year-old man there is nothing more vapid than a young person in love. All rational thought flits out of their head, and they are completely unable to be reasoned with. Uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll look at this pud of a guy and see a knight in shining armor and what they can create him into and by their beautiful influence because this love is like a love that no one has ever seen before and all that nonsense. Uh, Section 4 tells us, listen, the scripture gives us principles (laughs) and we we need to be bounded by those principles. We need to be bounded by the guidelines of scripture or else disaster is going to result and it will. I don't care how much you love him and or how much you love her. Uh, if you're already stepping outside of the bounds of Scripture prior to this relationship, you're going to really struggle. There's going to be some real difficulties in your marriage. And so the confession, at least, you know, I, I think an application of this section four uh, is to say, I don't care how in love you are. If the Scripture says, listen, this is not a candidate uh, for marriage, you need to be bounded by the Scripture. And you need to be bounded not simply because it's obedience to the scripture, but because God is, is, is telling us how to walk in, in harmony with his purposes, uh, in creation. And it'll, it'll be a challenge. It'll be a very, very difficult marriage. So, uh, section four, uh, nor can such incestuous marriages ever be made lawful by any law of man or consent of party. So as those persons may live together as man and wife, uh, so, doesn't matter what the law says, Oops. and it doesn't matter how much the two of you love each other, if God's word says you can't do it, then you can't do it. Let's see if that works. Um, so, with that, let's move on to section five. And sections five and six are the grounds for divorce. And it's providential that uh, our, our sermon this morning, the, the passage is a marriage. Uh, it's a marriage contract. Uh, and so, and, and we'll get to that later, uh, obviously, in the, in the worship service. But it's important for us to remember that in our marriages, we are living out a reflection of the divine. 
relationship. The, the relationship of the Father to the Son. Uh, the relationship of Christ to the church. Our marriages are not just between me and my wife, and the Bible gives me some good rules for living and some good principles that will make me happy. Uh, but our marriage is, is really a religious statement. It's a, it's a religious thing. It's saying something about God's love for Israel, uh, God's love for the church, Christ's love for the church. This language of marriage, uh, as I mentioned last week, as we were looking at the setting of the Sinaitic Covenant, of, of the Ten Commandments there on Mount Sinai, as we're looking at that setting, God uses marriage language uh, to, to woo the bride to himself. Later, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea is a famous example. Anybody who knows the book of Hosea uh, knows all about, uh, you know, God tells Hosea to take a woman who is a prostitute and to take her as his wife and she'll run off and Hosea will woo her back again and she'll run off again. And, and, and God says, look, this is the relationship that I have with Israel. Israel is an adulterous wife and I want to... I want to bring her back. And so, so all of this language of marriage that, that comes out of this Sinaitic covenant, the, the, the giving of the law there on Mount Sinai, uh, it's later viewed as a, a marriage relationship and, and breaking that covenant is an adulterous act on behalf of the nation. All these big themes in Scripture boil down to something as mundane as our marriages. <laughs> uh, my relationship with my wife. My wife's relationship with me. My relationship with my children. Uh, my children's relationship with me. All of these things are, are intended to be reflections of how it is that we show the holiness and the love of God. Uh, both as men and as women, as parents and as children. So therefore, breaking a marriage contract is a dramatic thing. It is, it is a profoundly, and, and I'm not just saying, you know, obviously on a personal level. I, I don't know how many of you ever, uh, uh, follow you know, celebrities or whatever, but it seems like all the celebrities, uh, I'm not a big celebrity junkie. My wife knows all the actors and actresses and their names and all that. I don't. Uh, but it's always, anytime you hear about a couple that's divorced uh, in Hollywood, what, what is it they always say about their relationship after the divorce? We're going to remain friends. Everybody says that, right? We're going to remain friends. Or they've been divorced for 15 years and they have two kids together and they say, we're co-parenting and we do it, you know, we, so-and-so is such a great parent and, and we're co-parents to this child even though we're divorced. Now, let's back up from that. So those of you who are married, those of you right here, right now, sitting here, who are married, if 
your spouse divorces you, how many of you will say, oh yeah, I'll, we'll still remain friends? I'm not seeing any hands going up. <laughs> if you've got a genuine marriage, if you've got a marriage where you're vulnerable with the other, you open your heart to them, they, they know you and all of your, your, your frailties and weaknesses and, and all of that, and then they look at you and say, Bleh, I don't want to be around you anymore. That is like the most deep hurt. That is the most deep betrayal. And either I'm lying through my teeth when I say I'm going to remain friends, or I never had a marriage to begin with. And I think probably the latter is the case in a lot of these, these more secular marriages. The marriage was simply friends with benefits uh, kind of a thing. And then when we can't get along with each other, we're just not friends, or we just don't have the benefits, but we're still friends. Uh, so, so a genuine marriage, uh, a biblical marriage, is a marriage in which, as God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a, a helper suitable for him. And for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother, the woman shall leave her house, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, the, this coming together is intimate, it's close, it builds... And, and so, you know, again, as a pastor, uh, when I, I see a couple that's been married for decades and decades and decades, and one of the, of the spouses dies, you've got a lot of, it's like ripping a piece of cloth that has been woven together by all the life circumstances and the children and the illnesses and the fears and the financial challenges and all all these things that weave two lives together. And so when it's ripped, there's a lot of dangling threads uh, that are left over in the one surviving. And that's good. That's good. That's That shows that this couple really was knitted together, what we want uh, in our relationships. If, if a couple or if, if a surviving spouse, and I've never had one do this, but if a surviving spouse was like, man, dude, I've just been waiting. I've had my black book uh, in my back pocket for six months now. Uh, whew, uh, I, am, I am ready for the next chapter. I'm going to look at that and go, you're messed up. Uh, there, there's something deeply wrong here. I don't care if you were faithful to her uh, or him, whichever. Uh, I don't care how faithful you were. This was messed up uh, that, that you would say, yeah, this doesn't really have an impact on my life, uh, and, and I'm ready to move on. Marriage is so central to our being and to the reflection of God that divorce, the breaking of that marriage, should be traumatic and strictly limited. There are only two cases that Scripture gives us in which God allows for divorce. And so when, uh, can someone read for me uh, Matthew chapter 19, verses 8 and 9? 
Correct. So the first grounds for biblical divorce is sexual immorality uh, or adultery. Uh, now, this has the sexual immorality. Uh, there's sort of a spectrum here <laughs> uh, where on the one hand, uh, you know, adultery is pretty much a, a clear-cut thing. You slept with the person, you've, you've committed adultery. But notice that the that the sense here is broader than strictly adultery. Sexual immorality. Uh, does that involve pornography? Uh, is engaging in pornography grounds for divorce? And like I say, it's a spectrum. There, I think... I would argue, and, and, you know, this is definitely something that the elders need to get involved in. You, uh, I, I was counseling a young couple just the other day in preparation for marriage and saying, you know, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul, is, so, so my three-point sermon on, uh, on, on intimacy is when, how, and why. When, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, often. Uh, the husband does not own the body, but the wife does. The wife does not own her body, but the husband does. And you should be coming together unless by mutual agreement for a, a season of, of prayer and fasting. And then once that is over, you come together again. Uh, so, so when is often. How? Read the Song of Solomon. Uh, the Song of Solomon is too grown people, two men, uh, a man and a woman, delighting in one another. It is difficult. Uh, I've said in the past, and I broke this promise, uh, there are only two books in the Bible that I will never preach. One is Revelation. The other is Song of Solomon. I've preached Revelation. I'm not ready to do Song of Solomon. There, there's passages in there that, you know, I just don't know how I would read, much less dwell on in a sermon. Uh, without embarrassing a lot of people and horrifying a lot of little children. Uh, but, but read the book. I mean, it is an inspired book. And this is a, a man and a woman completely unashamed. This is not any Victorian prudishness. You read that book. <laughs> this is a grown man and a grown woman in the privacy of their bedchamber delighting in the physical attributes of the other. Uh, so, so that's the how. How joyously, fully, completely, without guilt or anything, no hang-ups, set them aside and rejoice like the Song of Solomon. Why? Ephesians 5, because this is a picture of Christ and his love for the church, and the church and her love for Christ. So when, how, and why are given to us from the Scripture. So when there's a problem, when someone says, I just don't really want to be around you physically, 
uh, intimacy. It, no, I don't like this. I'm not doing it. You're not attractive to me. All of those things. It can't, it should become something that you bring the elders of the church into. Uh, now, you gotta trust the elders of the church. You gotta trust us to be discreet. You gotta trust us to actually be helpful. Uh, we're not creepers. We're not interested in, in talking details or any of that garbage. We're not sick freaks. Uh, but we do want to see you faithfully living out all of God's word. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Ephesians 5, and the Song of Solomon is God's word. And, and so I was, I was encouraging them, you know, when, when or if this is an issue, come and talk to me. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe myself and my wife will sit down and all four of us will have some conversations. Or maybe I'll say, you know, I, I think you could benefit from this counselor or that counselor. Uh, but, but these are things that we shouldn't just be hiding behind. Uh, it, it's a public thing. It's part of life in the church. And that's why our confession goes on there in uh, uh, section 6. Um, the last half of section 6, uh, a public and orderly course of proceeding is to be observed. And the persons concerned in it not left to their own wills and discretion in their own case. In other words, the church and, and as well as the civil government, uh, when, when you're, when you're breaking a marriage, when you're breaking a marriage contract, you're saying something about God and His love for the church. Uh, does, does God take His love for the church lightly? Uh, well, I hope not. And certainly my Bible tells me it, he doesn't. And so we shouldn't be taking these things lightly either. So adultery, yes ma'am. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good point, um, that the book of Hosea, uh, it, it is because of the hardness of heart that, that this marriage breaks up. And so, as a general rule, uh, I, I won't say this 100% of the time because there are always exceptions, but as a general rule, if a couple in the church is getting divorced, I expect to see one of them getting excommunicated. Uh, because you have, whoever the offending party is, has said, A, I 
am given to this sin. I'm given to this thing that is breaking the marriage, and I'm not going to repent. And when someone says that, you've, you've got to bring church discipline in. Uh, and, and so, yeah, and I think we, we should have this really, really, really scriptural and high view of marriage. And, and so, right, so Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, and that's not, that shouldn't be our standard. Cool. Hardness of heart, I'm good with that. Uh, we should not have a hard heart. <laughs> God says, I'll give, I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. We should have tender hearts, uh, so that we're able to receive counsel and wisdom and guidance and, and put our own, uh, uh, our own desires in the back seat and, and really desire to be holy, uh, as, as God is holy. So, yeah, good point. So, uh, let me continue because, believe it or not, we're about out of time again. Um, so, chapter five, or section five is, in the case of adultery after marriage, it's lawful for the innocent party to sue out a divorce and after the divorce to marry another as if the offending party were dead. And then section six, although the corruption of man be such as is apt to study arguments unduly. Now, I love this. You, you really ought to, I mean, this is not an ancient document that has no relevance. These guys know your hearts <laughs> because your hearts are just the same in 2022 as they were in 1649. And so I love this. Although the corruption of man be such as is apt to study arguments unduly to put asunder those whom God hath joined together in marriage. That's the nature of man's heart, is we're going to come up with all kinds of, well, you know, he's no longer caring for me, so it's emotional abandonment. And he's emotionally abandoned me, he's cold and distant, therefore I'm abandoned, therefore I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> and, and that kind of stuff goes on. Uh, in the in the Christian, sadly, the Christian community, and the Westminster Confession of Faith noted it in 1649 and said, "Don't do this." Uh, the the we're not trying to come up with all sorts of excuses. Anyway, yet nothing but adultery or such willful desertion as can no way be remedied by the church or civil magistrate. And so there is our second. Our second grounds for divorce is desertion. And can someone read for me 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, verses 10 through 13. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 13. Right?
So if, so in this situation, you've got an unbeliever and a believer. And if the unbeliever, whether husband or wife, is willing to stay, you should stay in the marriage. And it's interesting, the, the grounds for that is the covenantal relationship of the parents to the children. Uh, but I'm not going to go down that road. We'll, we'll get to there in a couple of chapters. <laughs> um, but if the uh, unbeliever is willing to remain then you should remain. And let's see, where is it? Uh, I've lost the passage. Oh, and then verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. So if the unbeliever says, nope, I'm out of here, and deserts, the believer is not bound. It's not, the believer is not enslaved to this relationship. Uh, and so that's why we have these two biblical grounds for divorce. From Matthew, it's adultery. Uh, and from uh, 1 Corinthians 7, it's uh, desertion. Uh, and, and our confession goes on, you know, puts that in context. Such as cannot be remedied by the church or the civil magistrate. If he or she runs off and abandons you, the first phone call that you need to make is to the church, to the pastor, to the shepherding elder, and say, hey, you know, here's what's going on. And then the elders, the pastors, uh, reach out and say, come on, let's not, don't go down this path, come back together, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, marriage is extremely important, and it's extremely important because of what it communicates to others about God. Uh, God doesn't cast off his wife once she gets old and ugly and wrinkly. Uh, God does not cast off his bride uh, for, you know, because the bride doesn't live up to the glorious expectations uh, that we had. Uh, God cares for his bride. He, he, that, that relationship is one that is eternal. And, and our reflection of that relationship should be the same. Uh, and it is not to be lightly broken off because that tells the world that God very lightly breaks off, uh, the Christian. And, and that's just not true. That's a lie. Uh, so our marriages need to reflect that. So, with that, I'm five minutes over, but I did finish chapter 24. Uh, so, let's go ahead and uh, close with prayer, and then we can go into our time of fellowship. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the clarity of your word on this important topic. And Father, would you help us, uh, those who are married, those who are pursuing marriage, those who are counselors uh, for others in marriage. Uh, Would you help us, Lord, to have a biblical view and a passion uh, to to help others to live according to that. Uh, In Christ's name, amen.